Today is January 17th, 2021. We are reading from the big book of AA, pages 68 to the end of the chapter. And this is about the sex conduct portion of the fourth step. Tiffany will be our reader, I'm sorry, not Tiffany. Our reader will be Nancy P, followed by a 20 minute share by Tiffany. Nancy. Hi, good morning. Uh, thank you um, for letting me share and good morning, everybody. Now about sex, many of us needed an overhauling there, but above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get way off the track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes, perhaps. One set of voices credit sex as a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or that it, is, that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow man to flavor his fare, no flavor for his fare, and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? We got this all down on paper and looked at it. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly nor selfishly, lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about still more harm in so doing. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we are going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half truth. It depends on us and on our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe we will be forgiven and we will and will have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are the facts out of our experience. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal for guidance in each questionable situation for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. If we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listened and analyzed our resentments, listened, listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision in our, and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. 
That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. Thank you so much for letting me share and I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy. And now I'd like to introduce Tiffany P of San Antonio, Texas, and she will be sharing for approximately 20 minutes. Tiffany. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Tiffany recovered, Tiffany P recovered compulsive overeater based in San Antonio, but originally from New Jersey. Um, so first I'd like to thank Kim for asking me to be of service and for the moderators and um, just for everyone for showing up for this meeting every week. Um, it really has been uh, beautiful to be able to listen to the, to the podcast and everyone shares. Um, so yeah, at first I will admit that I am nervous about sharing. Um, you know, when I got the text asking to, to be a speaker, my first instinct was, was yeah. And then um, I saw it was the inventory and then uh, Kim texted me like the exact line it starts with. And, you know, it's not intimidating at all to share on a meeting of about, you know, 70 plus people with a line that starts with now about sex. So, um, so like I said, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, December 26th made three years of recovered back-to-back -back abstinence, um, have about 115 pound weight loss. And that is all through the grace of God. That is not my doing. And I know that today. Um, I originally came to OA, just to give you a little background, just I originally came to OA back in 2008, I would say. Um, and I completely forgot to start my timer. Um, and that was after years and years from my childhood of um, struggling with my weight, you know, up and down, uh, mostly up. I was always, you know, at least a hundred pounds overweight. And um, I came into OA thinking it was just like a group support um, meeting. You know, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't realize it was a spiritual program. So when I got here and I saw people praying and holding hands and hugging and that freaked me out a little bit. And I'm thinking like these people are in a cult, what is happening? Um, but I was seeing a, a therapist at the time and, you know, to appease her, cause I told her I'd heard about OA and gone to a couple OA meetings and she encouraged me to keep coming back. And so that's what I did just to make her happy. And, um, you know, I started to hear things that resonated with me. You know, I heard people sharing about what they did with food um, that I did the same, you know, I did the same things with food that they did. And um, I came back and eventually started going to meeting after meeting and um, really had um, a strong fellowship, but I didn't have a strong program. And at the time I didn't know there was a difference. Um, and so I went, that was, that went on for about three and a half years. And, um, you know, I got so, uh, some period of abstinence and some weight loss. And I thought that was the end goal. Um, but it didn't, it wasn't sustainable for, you know, everyday life for me. And so eventually, of course, I went back into the food and um, eventually stopped coming to meetings in 2011. And that proceeded by about four and a half, five years of just a downward spiral in unmanageability, um, increased weight. Um, and it wasn't until 2016 that I made my way back into the doors of Overeaters Anonymous and Overeaters, Overeaters Anonymous meeting again. And um, what I had that second time that I didn't have the first time, thankfully, was a gift of desperation. 
Um, and I had just happened to walk into the doors of uh, a big book meeting and I thought people are doing it wrong. Um, and because uh, I had my foundation was in the other literature. And so, um, you know, I started to hear things that I hadn't heard before about like being grateful for the lives that they led and, you know, years of abstinence and not craving the food. And, and I started to listen. And what I heard is that they had done the work um, in the first 164 pages of this big book. And so that got me interested because I didn't know a lot of people in my day-to-day -day life who could say they were enjoying life. Um, and so um, that really brought me back to uh, realizing the, the need for doing this step work um, to, to do this, these 12 steps, because my first time around, I believe that I just, you know, if I, you know, could just strong arm my way through the day, you know, without eating, then that was a success. Um, so I uh, got a sponsor and she started taking me through the big book. Um, the first 164 pages, we went through the steps. And at that time, because I was desperate, I started listening to anything that I could find on, on the steps, the big book, and um, came across a speaker who did had done a workshop and he laid out how um, to work the steps according to the big book. So each step that I was on, I would listen to him and work with my sponsor. And when we got to the fourth step, he really explained it in a way I hadn't understood before, a way of, um, you know, this step isn't meant to lambast us or, um, you know, beat ourselves up with, but it's really a way to get to freedom. Um, you know, we can't have freedom from the unmanageability from this disease unless I'm ready to put down in black and white, you know, my resentments, my fears, and, you know, my sex inventory. And so, you know, um, by the time it came to my fourth step, I was ready to get started on it because I was ready to let some stuff go. Um, but funny enough, I, I knew I had a resent, I had tons of resentments. I knew I had tons of fears. I didn't really think by, um, that the sex inventory applied to me so much um, because I hadn't been in a lot of relationships. Um, my disease is one, shows up as one of isolation. And so I cut myself off. And so I thought, well, my sex inventory isn't gonna be very well detailed. Um, and those first two paragraphs where it says, um, you know, we do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. So I looked up that word, you know, an arbiter is a person who settles a dispute, right? So the, all the uh, first, that's first paragraph, they're telling me that, you know, it's not the job of the sex inventory to discuss how or when or, you know, um, the details of, you know, the act itself, right? But so then what is this inventory for? The next paragraph goes into, um, we reviewed our conduct in the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? So with those questions, then I'm looking at how have I treated people? How have I treated others that I've been partnered with or in relationship with? Um, and for me, while I hadn't had many relationships, while I was listening to the speaker, he talked of one um, example that hit home for me because uh, he talked about a, fl um, a flirtation he had with um, someone that he knew was married. And I thought, I've done that. You know, I flirted with someone who I knew was married and thought it was harmless. And, um, you know, if I look at these questions, where have you been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Um, is it inconsiderate to, to have a flirtation with someone you know is in a relationship? Um, 
I would say yes, right? If I was that person's spouse, I probably wouldn't be um, too happy about it, right? So that would arouse um, jealousy, suspicion, bitterness, right? Um, so I had to put that on my inventory. Um, whom had we hurt, obviously, would be that other person, right? And then it goes into um, now shaping a sane and sound ideal for a future sex life. But later in that paragraph, it also says, we ask God to mold our details. So again, um, just like the rest of the, the previous uh, sections of the inventory, I'm not doing this alone. I'm taking this um, new ideal that I'm trying to create and I'm doing it with my higher power, which I call God. So I'm doing this with God, right? So it tells us to sit down in meditation, um, to create this new ideal. So I've heard a range of people say they've written, you know, um, paragraph of like who or what it is that they would like to be in their future sex life. Um, at the, I've done that since at the time of my original first, uh, fourth step, I didn't do that. Um, but for me, it became easier to look in the previous paragraph. Well, if it's asking me to look at my uh, conduct and ask if who I've, how I've been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate, um, if I turn that, you know, if I ask the opposite, right, if I try to do the opposite, how can I be considerate of others? How can I be um, honest? Um, how can I be selfless instead of selfish? That, to me, um, helped me in creating a, a better sane sound, um, uh, sex idea or, or just like um, relationship idea, I've heard it called as well. And for a more recent example, um, as I was like preparing for this talk, I thought of, so now that I, I live, I've lived in uh, San Antonio for about a little over two years now, and I've been dating since I've been out here. And recently um, I was dating someone who lived an hour and a half away. And um, I was going to his city to, um, for our next date or, um, and, you know, I don't like driving. He was an hour and a half away and I'm making up this whole story in my head of like, I have to drive so far and he's so inconsiderate and, and I literally use the word inconsiderate in my own head. And I, and this has had to be like my higher power. I stopped and I had to ask myself, like, am I being honest? And no, the two previous dates we had been on, he drove down to San Antonio. The first one, you know, we met in the middle. So he had been very compromising, right? So automatically I was, you know, being dishonest because and inconsiderate um, of not wanting to drive, you know, an hour and a half in his direction. Um, and I realized, you know, if it weren't for this program, if it weren't for these these tools that I've learned, I could have built up a resentment of how inconsiderate and selfish this person is and, um, you know, not doing whatever I want. And really, it's all based on fear, because for me, I don't like driving, um, especially like long distances and, and all of that. And so um, there's like a fear of driving for me um that like ultimately gets me you know creates my resentment and then i can build up this whole entire story of how this person you know did me wrong right which is of course it's a story but with this program i'm able to like see that and break that down um and ask for like what is the truth and the truth is you know it, it's it all stems from fear and thankfully because of this inventory i have something to do with fear you know i can take my fear to god um and that's what it says, you know, we must be willing to make amends 
where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring, we still do not bring about more harm in doing so, right? So going back to, you know, the flirtation that I had with this other person, um, you know, it probably wouldn't have been the best deal if I would have tried to go back to his wife and said, I'm sorry for, you know, flirting with your husband, right? Um, given that she likely didn't know, right? Didn't know this person. So um, then what can I do? Well, I have to like move, like looking forward, right? Obviously, if I know someone is partnered or in a relationship with someone, then, you know, there's a boundary that needs to be set there. Um, but I also love that in this paragraph, that, you know, we, yes, we take our, um, our inventory to God, right? But it also says counsel with persons is often desirable, right? That's why we have fellows in this program, right? So I can call another recovered compulsive overeater. I can talk to my sponsor and ask them, you know, what have, do they have experience with these things? I've come across a lot of people who have had similar experiences and uh, we've gained, and I've been able to, to glean a lot. Or, you know, if I'm working with a sponsee and, and they have a similar situation, I can say, well, this is what I've done. Um, and that leads me to um, that paragraph on page 70, where it talks about, we earnestly pray for the right ideal. Um, and then that last sentence, uh, the last couple of sentences, if sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves harder into helping others. We think of their needs and we work for them. This is not, this is, this takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache, right? So the solution um, in this book is always to get outside of myself, right? To, to think of others. How can I be um, of service to others, right? Because, you know, pages earlier, it tells me my main problem is that I'm selfish and self-centered, right? I think too much of myself, whether I'm thinking too highly of myself or too poorly of myself, I'm still just thinking of myself, right? And for me, you know, life had always been a series of, I need to figure things out. I need to um, try to manage this. I need to, to, you know, pull it together. I just need to figure this out and push through and do this on my own. And, um, you know, so when I come in and I hear that the solution is to get outside of myself, to think of others, like, it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, how thinking of others, like I didn't come to this program to think of others, right? I came here to lose weight, to straighten out my life. Like, let's, let's get the deal done, right? Um, but I'll, I'll give an example, and this does not necessarily have to do with like relationship or sex, but um, a couple weeks ago, I uh, got a call that my mom's in the hospital and um, she's in um, she's in New Jersey. My entire family's in New Jersey. I'm here. We're in the middle of a pandemic, so it's probably not the safest thing for me to get on a plane right now and hospital, all of that, right? And so I'm here by myself and trying to figure out what to do. And of course, you know, thank God for this program, I turn to prayer and, you know, I do a 10-step. I don't think I called anyone to do a 10-step, but I, you know, said the fear prayer. Um, and my next thought was like, pick up the phone and go to that newcomer list that you have and make an outreach call. And so that's what I did. And I, you know, spent, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes talking to someone out in California about my recovery and not, um, you know, just my weight loss, but like how my life has transformed and how, you know, the miracles of the, this program and, and um, 
have I've since talked to that person a couple of times. And then I was I made another outreach call later in the day to someone who's been in program for a little while but is struggling. And I hear the words that I need to hear coming out of my own mouth to her. Um, you know, it's like uh, I heard a speaker say once that we're never closest to God than when um, we're being of service to someone else because it allows God to work through us. And the many times I've experienced that, been able to like hear myself say to another person what the words that I need to hear and know that that's not coming directly from me. That had to be coming from a power greater than myself is truly powerful. Um, and so, yeah, when, you know, I don't know what to do when I'm confused, um, I do the work of, of the inventory of the 10th step if needed, and then I pick up the phone and direct my attention to who I can be of service to. And it honestly still baffles me how it works. I don't know, um, but it does work, you know, because the rest of that Sunday, I, you know, was not living in fear. I was not living in the shoulda, woulda, couldas, and the guilt, and all of that. Um, I, I, it was almost like I was being carried, and I know, you know, knew that God was in control. Um, and so, the last to look at the last couple of paragraphs, um, you know, that last paragraph that if we have been thorough, we have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality um, of the resentment. Right? We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies. Uh, where we look on them as sick people. I can tell you like that is, has been transformative to me, uh, for me. You know, those are the promises of the fourth step. And when I first came to this program, I didn't realize there were, I always heard about the ninth step promises. I didn't know that there were other promises in, in the step work along the way. And I can tell you from my experience, when I first sat down and did this inventory, and learned of the sick man's prayer and started saying that for other people and then really got into where I was being selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate for others. I really did start to experience this freedom from thinking that I needed to control other people and other people were wrong. And I started to see like, if I'm spiritually sick, because I know I am, I, I need a 12-step program, then maybe others are too. And so I don't need to judge them as harshly, right? They don't need my judgment. Um, and to even today, you know, I still obviously I'm human, so I find myself in judgment and, and I pick up the phone and do a 10 step and, and I can get free of that judgment and I can look at, you know, whoever or the person or the situation, whatever it is, and um, I can have that goodwill towards them. I can, I can let them off the hook, so to speak. Um, and, and the only way I've been able to do that is with God, right? And doing this inventory, it's my higher power that does that for me. Um, and I, I, I want to go back to that line. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality, right? So futility means uselessness and fatality obviously, obviously means um, the lethalness of something, right? And so I already know like this is a deadly disease, right? Like this disease will kill me if I hold on to these resentments, these fears, if I have amends that I haven't made, if I'm treating others with inconsideration, um, if I'm not being honest. And so this inventory is the beginning of that process, right? If we look at um, 
in that paragraph, there was a word, I think it says begin, I can't find it right now, but then on page 71, right, um, you have made a good beginning, right? So this, the last two paragraphs, oh yeah, have begun to learn tolerance. So the last two paragraphs use that word twice, right? And so we know Bill only repeated words when he wanted them to stand out, uh, or I've been, that's what I've been taught, I should say, we know. Um, and so it's, it's being brought to our attention that this fourth step is obviously extremely important. Um, this inventory is necessary, but it's just the beginning, right? We've just begun to start to experience um, the likeness that our, our higher power has for us, that God has for us by doing this work, right? There's still more, still more work to be done. Um, that being said, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. I love that line. I have it underlined in pink because I really, for me, I really felt like when I did my fourth step inventory that um, I met myself for the first time. I think before I came to program, I had this idea of who I was even, even before just when I was in program, but like right before doing my inventory, I had this idea of who I was and I thought I was a nice person and a good person. And then I write out my inventory and I get to see myself in black and white. And it's not to say that I was a bad person or I didn't like myself or I, you know, it was horrible or worse than anyone else, but I get to see the truth and not this made up um, fantasy I have of myself that I have in my head of, you know, I'm better than everyone or I'm worse than everyone, right? I get to see myself in, in true form, black and white. And um, that's, for me, that was really powerful to get to see who I was um, because you know, through this, these prayers and through just stories I've heard from other fellows um, and seeing myself and I could see the things that I didn't like, then I was, I started to believe that, you know, now I have access to this higher power that is going to help me transform these things. And I can change these through the, change these aspects of myself that I don't like through um, the miracle of the step work. And so, um, and, and that was extremely powerful because I had always wanted to figure out how to change myself. I had wanted to be a different person. I just didn't know how. Um, and so that is my story. So I will stop there. And again, thank you, Kim, for allowing me to share. And thank you, everyone, for being here. Thanks, Tiffany. That was Tiffany P. of San Antonio.